You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, we continue through the Shorter Catechism, and we have some copies of it here. We're coming to the very end, so we're running low on copies. Need a copy? You have one? Anybody else need a copy? Copy of Shorter Catechisms? All right. Well, if you need one, they're they're still up here. We have a a few left, and we will be... There's, what, 107 questions? So we will be done in the next uh, six weeks or so, Lord willing, maybe seven weeks. I think we have one week where there's a special program here. Um, but we're coming to the end of the catechism, and we end here with the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is what we began, what, last week, week before, started talking about prayer, and we'll be walking through the Lord's Prayer the next few weeks. And um, I I imagine sometimes there's a little bit of like, okay, again, you know, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer again, um, because sometimes we can feel like, okay, we've we've done this, uh, whether in personal study or um, different series like this. But um, I think it's important for us to remember a couple things. First, uh, in the history of the church, there have been three main discipleship tools, and I, I've said this before. Um, but going back to the early church, three main tools. One was the Apostles' Creed, so learning doctrine. This was required to go through a, a course on the Apostles' Creed before one could uh, be baptized and um, or upon profession of faith before you could come to the Lord's Supper. Um, required you to know the, Lord, the Apostles' Creed. And so that was taught over a year to catechumens. Um, the second tool was the Ten Commandments and understanding the Ten Commandments and how uh, we are to live as Christians. So the first one, what we believe. Second one is what we, how we live as Christians. And then the third tool is the Lord's Prayer. And so this has been used through, through ancient church history to teach Christians how we approach God. And one of these important pillars of our faith is prayer. How do we do that? And this comes as a result of the disciples coming to Jesus saying, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responds says, this is how you are to pray like this. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is also something we can pray uh, word for word, which we do sometimes in corporate worship. Uh, we can do this as families. We can do this as individuals. And so it is a, a form of prayer. We'll call it form, meaning, meaning the, the particular words that we pray. But uh, it's also more than that. It's also a rubric for prayer. It's giving us major categories in prayer that we can then ourselves um, extrapolate upon, and we can ourselves offer other prayers to the Lord based on the Lord's Prayer. And so one of the great things in the history of the church that a lot of Christians have done is provide their own um, maybe ad-libbing on the Lord's Prayer. And they go through each petition, each section, and in their own words, they express it and what it means in their particular life, in their particular, um, in in their situation and circumstances. And so this is a rich tradition is going through and and taking each part. So um, our Father, which art in heaven, and on the basis of that, then spend a few more sentences reflecting on that, praying to God. Uh, Then this one we come to, hallowed be thy name. And again, reflecting upon that and praying additionally on that theme. And so it's a wonderful practice and habit. If you don't know how to pray, if sometimes you struggle for words to pray, I'm prefacing it to get to this point with with all this. Um, If you don't know how to pray, 
take the Lord's Prayer and take each petition, each section of it, and then go for three or four or five more sentences in your own words and apply it to your life and, and meditate upon it and seek the Lord's face with that. This is what it's designed to do. And so as we're diving into this today to understand what this first petition means, that is our goal to help us grow in understanding God and grow in prayer ourselves for our personal lives. So um, anyway, that was a long preface. Any questions there? Comments? Okay, well, we come to the first petition in question 101 today. So if you have your copies of the Shorter Catechism, uh, turn there to 101. Um, there are all kinds of digital copies, uh, things available online very easily. So question 101, I will just read the question and answer. What do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is, hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known, and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. All right, the first petition, hallowed be thy name. So I just have a few subheaders here that we'll walk through as we think about this answer and this particular phrase, hallowed be thy name. And the first comment here is to understand this is actually a petition. It is a request to God. This is in English, this could be read, hallowed is thy name. Uh, some of us will by default think this is just a statement of the holiness of God's name. But in fact, in the Greek construction, it's coming into English as kind of a subjunctive tense, which is an older way of expressing this. But it's really, uh, would your name be hallowed? Or let your name, may your name be hallowed. It's a request to God that his name would be hallowed, that his name would be made holy. Um, and starting with this fact that it is a petition is, is presuming that I can't do this on my own. Is presuming that I cannot make God's name holy on my own. And so I am completely dependent upon God for me to hallow God's name and for everything else in all creation to hallow God's name. And so it begins with this primary position of humility. I need God. I am in myself sinful. I'm in myself unable to do any good. And now in Christ, I'm enabled to do these things by God's power. And I need God to enable me to do this, to allow me to begin to hallow his name. There's a necessity of God granting to us this ability to hallow his name. And um, just one note here on the, on the catechism, this is not just for me personally, uh, for me to hallow God's name. Um, the catechism says that, we, that God would enable us and others. So this is a prayer that everyone worldwide would hallow God's name would honor God's name, would see him as holy. So we begin with this request, and this is important. This is why it's the first petition, because it is a request that God's name would be hallowed. So what is a name? What is a name? Why is it important that the name of God here is hallowed? Well, first, in the, the Jewish and Greek mind, the, a name, somebody's name, is more than a random assortment of vowels and consonants that we identify somebody by. Um, so the name Jason uh, is not just some random word used to describe a person. A name speaks of somebody uh, in their um, essence in some ways. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But even um, 
we be, in English, we have a sense of uh, protecting a good name of somebody. We understand name is, speaks to their reputation. We want to protect the good reputation of somebody. We want to honor somebody's name, um, their family lineage. We honor their name, not just the words that come out of our mouth, but them and their reputation. But, and so I think that's the minimum application here. We honor God's reputation uh, in the world. But I think it goes beyond that. Um, in Genesis 11, 4, uh, it's describing the men who are making the Tower of Babel. And what uh, the Bible says, that they were trying to make a name for themselves. So um, making a name, this name has that sense of reputation or renown um, that's included here, I think. Making a name. God has a name, a reputation, renown. Um, Exodus 34 is a fascinating passage, and I hadn't seen it this way until um, studying this, where here God is proclaiming his name to Moses. So Moses is coming up back on Mount Sinai after he had destroyed the tablets, angry with the people of Israel. He came back up, and God was talking to him here on the mountain. And you'll, you'll hear this as I read it in a moment. God proclaims his name, and then it's followed by how God proclaims his name, and God there is proclaiming his attributes to Moses. So listen to this. This is Exodus 34, 5 through 7. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him, Moses, there on the mountain, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So did you catch that? It says at the beginning, God came and proclaimed the name of the Lord to Moses. And then it goes on to say, he, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, on and on and on. So this is how he proclaimed the name of the Lord, is describing his character. So bound up in the name of God is his character, his attributes, who he is, his, his nature. And so... What we get at here is this word name, and I have one more example to show this, is getting at even the essence of a person. Somebody's name speaks of their essence and their very being in this sense. And we see this in Acts, Acts 1.15. This is after Christ ascended. Uh, Peter's now addressing a group of believers. Um, and there's just this parenthetical statement here. The company of the persons was in all about 120. But that word persons actually is the word names. So the company of the names was in all about 120. So speaking of the persons, the individuals, their, their selves. And so when we come here to see hallowed be thy name, it's not simply that we honor the three letters G-O-D or L-O-R-D or Yahweh, if we even want to go there to this Old Testament name of God that he revealed himself. This is speaking of God's character, nature, and even his essence must be hallowed. And so this is a request that God in his totality and his essential nature would be honored. And the shorter catechism, again, we see, um, we see some important language here that we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that where, whereby he maketh himself known. So that's the phrase that the catechism is using to tell us what name means. And um, let me read it one more time. In all that whereby he makes himself known. 
That's what the catechism says name means. It's his essence, and then however he makes himself known, that is God showing us his character and nature by his acts of creation and providence. So in all of these things whereby God makes himself known, in the heavens that declare God's glory, in ourselves where, where the image of God is imprinted upon human nature, all of these things are to make God glorified, are to glorify him, are to hallow his name. So everywhere he makes himself known, he is to be hallowed. And so what we see here, and we'll stop here for a moment, um, the Lord's Prayer is saying something about who God is. God himself is worthy of worship and honor and glory and praise. And so we have to stop and think about this God as we pray this petition, who he is, hallowed be your name, because it is worthy of all hallowing, all praising and glory. We'll get to hallow in a moment, what that particularly means. But this is saying something about God. Okay, so we'll stop there. Name, uh, the name of God, all these things we discussed, where comments, questions, Julia. That's right. That's exactly right. Exactly. That is exactly right. Precisely right. Um, he needs to be hallowed according to how he has made himself known, which is his word. And so we hallow him in accordance with his revelation to us. And so we don't get to decide what makes God hallowed. Um, we have to do that according to his will as he's revealed it. So that's a great point. And to add to that, we don't want to um, overemphasize the qualities such as God is good. Mm -hmm. Right, right, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, and so we have to understand God on his terms, not on our terms, right? What does it mean that God is love, God is good? These things are very true, but we have to make sure we're, we're, we're defining that correctly according to him in the context of his eternal holiness and justice and, um, and so forth. So that's a, that's a wonderful point. Ray? Did you read my notes? <laughs> Highly connected to the third commandment. That's my next point. I actually just stopped that. Wonderful. Hey, why don't you go there? Tell us more about that, Ray. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. And the, and the third commandment text is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Right. Which is kind of the opposite of this, but they're both getting at the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. We'll circle back to that in a minute. So we're chatting about the Old Testament use of Yahweh or just the, uh, the consonants and the Hebrew. Right, allows. right. This whole aspect that the creature is vain, dirty, earthy, even uttering the name Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I will say, you know, so I'm, I'm not an expert on this, so I could be corrected. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, the, the Jewish hesitancy to even pronounce the covenant name of God that he revealed, that we say Yahweh, we think that's probably correct, but we don't know for sure because the consonants never made it in. Um, they put it, they put different, once consonants started being written, the written Hebrew, they put in consonants for another word, uh, which is how we get Jehovah. Jehovah is really Yahweh, but with a different set of consonants from the word Adonai. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the, the Old Testament people of God got to the point where they refused to even say what we call Yahweh now, um, which again, maybe right, may not be exactly the right, right way to pronounce it, but um, they wouldn't even say it. And so I'm not, my whole point, sorry, side, side tangent there. My whole point there is I'm not even sure that that was correct for them to not pronounce God's name, but out of respect, they would not do it. And um, maybe that was a, a good godly fear. Maybe that was a superstitious fear. I'm not sure. I would lean to saying maybe it is more superstitious than anything because God did reveal himself. This is the name I give you to call me. Um, and so, but your point, as well taken, the fact that there was that fear of God to the point where they wouldn't even want to say his name. And now it says, how do we approach God? We say, our Father who art in heaven. That's what we get to call him. Now, the Old people, Old Testament people of God could do that, but what's happened in the interim, it's not that salvation, the nature of salvation has changed. It's not any of that kind of stuff. What's happened is now Christ has come, and in history, he has now reconciled us to the Father. Whereas the Old Testament saints, they had a, a provisionally were looking ahead to that, and yes, the means of grace existed, and they had salvation, but they didn't have the full realization of that in Christ. And so now, to your point, Jim, circling back, finally getting there, you're exactly right, is that now with Christ, in Christ, Christ, we get a bountiful fruit of salvation that the Old Testament saints could only dream of seeing in the future one day. And what a glorious thing that is, that we can come and say, Father, we want your name to be known and hallowed throughout all the earth. So anyway, I rambled. Anything else you want to say? It's <laughs> a great point. Anything else? Yeah, John. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Well said. Well said. So let's let's tie it into the third commandment. Again, that third commandment: You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So take right. Um, we we often think of this as like okay, don't use the Lord's name in swearing, um, which low hanging fruit. Yes, that's true, but that's not really the essence of what's going on here. Take God's name is to carry or to bear or to use God's name. And name is, again, simply more than Lord, God, those words with the letters, the vowels and consonants making up some kind of sound. It's getting to the same reality. Do not take the essence, the nature, all of God's works and all of his actions. Do not take them in vain. Do not use them emptily or do not use them in a vain way and uh, without purpose, without according to the holiness and honor and dignity of his name. So anything whereby God makes himself known, do not misuse that, but use it for his glory is ultimately what the third commandment is saying. And ultimately what this prayer request is asking, this first petition, may your name be holy. And I think we can uh, imply the first and second commandments are a part of this as well. Um, but I do think that's important for us because this first petition is really saying, may your name never be taken in vain, but instead may it be hallowed. And so we're asking God to enable us to keep his law and to obey him as he's revealed himself. 
Um, so let's look at this word hallowed. So that's, that's the name. Let's look at hallowed for a few minutes. What does this word hallowed mean? Um, simply, it's an old English way. If, if um, the King James wasn't so prominent um, in, in, in our minds, I'm sure the ESV, when they translated this, would use a different word. Um, holy be your name or uh, sanctified be your name. It's that same word group that is used here in the Greek. Um, but it's to, to sanctify something, to set it apart, to recognize it as, as it is holy or um, even the, the, the fake word, to holify the name, to make it, again, to make it holy. So this can either mean two things. One, it actually makes something holy in the sense that, um, and, and if this is the case, then God is depending upon us to make him holy. So that's one way we could take this as, as setting something apart and actually, actually declaring it holy. Or the other option is to recognize something that is already holy, but to give it the proper respect that is due to something that is holy. So I think you can see which way it should go here. It's not one. We're not actually making God holy or more holy or more set apart or more glorious. We're recognizing the holiness that he already has. So our action of prayer and glorifying God and praising God isn't adding anything to God. It's not making him any different than who he was. It's simply recognizing and honoring that who he is. So it's this recognition, this respect. And this ties us back into Westminster Shorter Catechism 1. Everything comes back to Westminster Shorter Catechism 1. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God to glorify him. And that's exactly what hallowing him is, to glorify him and enjoying him forever as well, right? This is, um, hallowing God's name is not some um, austere, um, boring, um, no fun thing to do. As we glorify God, that's what we were created to do. So we are enjoying him as we enjoy the blessings that he gives us, as we recognize who he is. So it ties in with the shorter catechism. I also want to, um, I, the larger catechism does a wonderful job of it, unpacking what this hallowing is. So I want to read this for you for a moment, and then we can talk about it. So the first uh, petition here is that we would know, acknowledge, and highly esteem him, and to glorify him in thought, word, and deed, and that he would prevent and remove atheism, ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to him and that he would direct and dispose all things to his own glory. So it begins here with my individual to know, acknowledge, and highly esteem him. So this is what I want my heart to change, how, how I want my heart to change, that I would highly esteem him above all other things, that I would desire his glory above my own glory, that I would care about what he thinks about things more than I care about what anybody else thinks about. So I would honor him in that way. And it keeps going on to um, other other individual things to glorify him in thought, word, and deed. So it looks at our whole lives, the way we live our lives. It's either glorifying to God or it's not. Now, all of our lives, our actions and everything are mixed motives and all that. So we are full of sin, even in the, the best or most righteous act that we do. There's still sin intermixed with that. But yet our whole aim of our life and thought, word, and deed is to glorify him. So we're praying when we pray the first petition that all of our whole being would be put in line with God's will with obedience, with glorifying and honoring him. This is not merely something we do on Sundays. We'll come to this in a minute. It's not something we merely do together as God's people glorify him, but it's what we do every moment of our lives to glorify him with our thought, words, and deeds. The first thing that comes to your mind in the morning when you wake up, is that glorifying God or is it glorifying yourself? 
the last thoughts before you go to bed at night, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about God and how to honor him? Or are you thinking about yourself and your own selfish concerns and cares? And then it goes beyond, though, I love the larger catechism because it goes beyond me very specifically, and it's talking to you now about the world in general, that God would prevent and remove atheism. So to pray against atheism and ungodliness. And I was looking at Luther, um, who, um, who has a wonderful paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. He, exactly what I was talking about earlier, he goes through each petition and he has a paragraph or two on each petition. And what, he's, what he prays for in this first petition, he goes on to say that God would bring an end to the Turks, the Muslims, um, and the Jews who refuse to recognize Christ. Um, it's not this, saying the Turks and the Jews is not saying these are terrible people ethnically, but it's saying these people, the Turks represent Islam and the Jews represent those who refuse to look to Christ. And he's saying, may these people look to Jesus. He desires their salvation. And that's exactly what we're praying for, that the whole world would know Christ. Every atheist would turn from their, their error to turn to God and glorify him. Ignorance, we're praying against ignorance, idolatry, profaneness, and whatsoever is dishonorable to God. There's so much packed into that. Hallowed be thy name. And he would, that he would direct and dispose all things to his own glory. So it's God working everything. Now, he's promised that he would do that. Has he not? That he would work all things for his glory and for us, our good, his people. But we're praying that God would be faithful to that promise that he's made to us. Um, I'll pause there for comments. So, we, excuse me, we can't add to his book, right? That's right. So, Yes. Amen. Exactly. It is. That is so well said. And I can't add more. Well done. That's that's wonderful. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and as we read, you know, a world like um that that word that phrase remove atheism ignorance idolatry profaneness whatsoever is dishonorable to him you know we look outside the walls of the church and that's the world around us and we so desperately desire that the world would know Christ and would glorify our father in heaven yeah mhm yeah yes 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. We see the consequences there for failing to hallow God's name, for not honoring, bringing glory to God. And so the consequences are eternal judgment. And so what, what um, the psalmist there is saying is that ultimately those who refuse to look to Christ— they have not hallowed God's name, and they deserve judgment for that. And I pray, judgment actually will hallow God's name for those who don't look to Christ. And so that judgment is hallowing God's name. So we're actually also praying that God would execute a righteous judgment on every sin that profanes his name, and that he would be made holy in that. So that's a really good, really good point. Great tie-in there. That's right. That's right. And so there seems to be, he will be 
glorified in both. But he, there's, there's, he doesn't take pleasure. There's a, there's a yeah. glory that he's receiving. That's right. But not the same pleasure and the same that he's receiving when people turn to him. Right. And exactly. So, exactly. I, I, that colors the context, I think, of he's glorified in the judgment, but he desires and yearns for Exactly. Some people can think of God as some like maniacal Bond villain who like, oh yes, somebody else I get to punish. Ha 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 ha. Um, no, that's not how God executes punishment um, and judgment for sin. It does say he wants all to come to him. Um, he takes pleasure in salvation, saving people. And um, But justice is done because it is just, not because there's some any inherent um, pleasure in it, but because it's the right thing and it will glorify God. That's a, that's a wonderful point. Yeah. Yeah, right. So um, what we have to see there is look immediately at the covenantal context where uh, the, the impreca- imprecatory Psalms, right, may um, God dash your baby's head against the rocks, right? Wow. Um, I forget which Psalm that is, but that's in there. And uh, that's God hates these people and he wants them to be destroyed and killed. Now we have to remember in the context of Israel, there is a geopolitical nation that God said, these are my people. And, he, and the world was called to honor them and to even become Jews. And if anybody refused to honor God's people, if anybody tried to attack God's king, David, they would be called to account. And temporal judgment was promised to those who would attack Israel. So there's a temporal level going on where David's enemies, he, David was calling for temporal judgment upon his enemies based on this covenant relationship God had with Israel in that time. And But what for us, it shows that eschatological, that eternal principle of judgment at the end of the time. So it was, um, well, I won't go there. Um, but it's, so it's showing at that point in time, there was temporal judgment that images for us eternal judgment, what eternal judgment looks like. So we can't, you know, our neighbor who has the dog barking till 11 p.m. at night, right? We don't pray imprecatory psalms for them. Um, that is not right. That is not good. That is not loving your neighbor. Yes, go talk to them. Um, but we don't pray in pregatory psalms for them. Even, even the atheist in the world that hates the church, that's going to you know, throw bricks through its window, that hates us, we don't pray in pregatory psalms for them here and now that God would wipe them out of the earth here and now. We pray that their sins would be justly dealt with. We pray ultimately they're justly dealt with by Christ on the cross, that they would come to Christ. But if not, we pray that every sin of theirs would be justly condemned. At the, at the final judgment. So that's, that's my brief two-minute introduction to the imprecatory psalms and how they apply to us. But any, any follow-up on that? That was a lot. All right, well, you're good. Yes? I just think of the uh, pray for those who, uh, what is it, uh, do good to those who persecute. That's right. Because vengeance is mine, I will pay. That's right. We can, we, the, God's calling us to be his ambassadors now. That's right. Very good. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And we are not God's agents of eternal judgment. And uh, different though, because Israel was God's agent of judgment upon those who lived in Israel in a different way that the church is not an agent of judgment today. So that's where we have some disconnect in how that imprecatory Psalms apply to us. That's a great point. Um, We're not called to execute judgment on the earth. We wait for Christ to return and he will do that. Anything else? All right, we got a few more things here. 
Um, I, I love this simple quote, this short quote from John Calvin from the Institutes as he's walking through the, um, the Lord's Prayer. The sum of the whole is, first petition, it must be our desire that God may receive the honor, which is, which is his due, that men may never think or speak of him without the greatest reverence. So there's, this is the amazing thing about prayer and what prayer does. Prayer, we often think of, okay, God, I want you to do these things out here. And yeah, we have petitions and ask God to be at work and to do things. We, we pray for that. But it's an amazing thing because in praying, God is also changing our hearts. So as we pray this prayer, hallowed be thy name, when we sit and think about what that really means, God is changing our desires to glorify him even more. And so this is a wonderful, glorious thing because we cannot pray it. If we're praying it and, and just not thinking about it, not worrying about it, or um, if we actually pray it with no intention to actually believe what we're praying, that's dishonoring God's name. Uh, that is not how we are to pray. We pray fully engaged saying, yes, Lord, you must be hallowed because you are so great and holy and righteous. And so in that praying itself, God is changing our hearts. As we even say those words, hallowed be your name, we realize, wow, I don't hallow God's name. Wow, he is worthy of all praise. And it's a wonderful, amazing thing that God does. Uh, again, to repeat Calvin, the sum of the whole is, it must be our desire that God may receive the honor which is his due that men may never think or speak of him without the greatest reverence. So how do we practically, carrying this forward, how do we, in, in the midst of prayer, we pray, hallowed be your name, but how do we actually hallow God's name um, outside of prayer? What, where do you, what do you say? Give me some, give me some thoughts. Oh. Go, Sue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. It is, it is, yes. Yeah, very good. John? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. That's right, we'll have come to another petition that specifically addresses that. But you're right, it, it flows out of this. That's right. Yeah. Ward? Uh, this might be a stretch. I was going to ask about it earlier. But in the Old Testament, it seems that the presence of God is tied to his name. Like mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So is there an element of recognizing God's presence both the suffer and the spirit's presence in each other in his Absolutely. That's huge. That is, that is huge. Um, the, the name of God, as Ward said, um, is, is tied to his presence. And so the name of God here is, is, is proclaimed here publicly in worship. And so Ward was tying this particularly to worship. And I think this does have one of the most direct and immediate applications here is worship. Called, gathered, public worship of God. We are to hallow and glorify and honor his name. And in that, God has promised to be present. He is there with his people. In the same way that the, the cloud descended upon the tabernacle, the Old Testament, and the cloud descended on the temple when it was first erected to indicate God is here. The name of God is here proclaimed. So God is here in this place as well as his name is proclaimed. And in fact, one of my favorite, I, one of my favorite parts of the service is the benediction. 
And you see here at the end of the service, um, the ironic benediction uh, from, from uh, Deuteronomy, no, Numbers. Um, where, is that right? Numbers? Okay, whew, man, not, not doing well this morning on my memory. Um, for the ironic benediction, which is the Lord bless you and keep you, Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Um, so this is in Numbers, and right before that, God is instructing the priests when he says that he would write his name on his people with these words. With these words, as they leave, bless them by writing my name on my people. So that benediction is God naming you his child, blessing you and saying, you now bear my name, carry my name into the world. It is my blessing upon you, my undeserved, my gracious blessing that is yours. So now go into the world and live consistently with that. What an incredible thing that is God is writing his name on us every week with that benediction. We think it's maybe just a few words we just say because we like to at the end of the, end of the service before we, uh, before we head out. No, this is big. God's writing his name on you by giving you his eternal blessing. Our own conduct. Conduct. Yeah, that's exactly right. We hallow God's name by our conduct. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. We ought to continue to remind ourselves and others of God's attributes. Yes. Um, just echoing God is good. We don't always believe that perfect. Right. But reminding ourselves and reminding others about who God is and what He's done. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Teaching, learning, diving deeper. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to read uh, a few things here from um, Thomas Watson, who has wonderful commentary on the catechism, on their sermons, basically. Um, but I want to read a list. I think he has 14 things. I'm not going to read them all. Um, but 14 ways we hallow his name. And the first is to profess his name, right? To profess faith, um, to honor him, to have faith in Christ. So we profess his name. That's how we hallow him. Um, trust or high appreciation and esteem for him and set him highest in our thoughts. That's convicting. What are that, what's the highest thing in your thoughts? What makes your mind soar and your heart swell? Trust in his name. Uh, the Psalm 33, 21 says this, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. We trust in his name. That is hallowing him. Um, speaking of him with highest reverence, as we were talking about, um, loving his name, worshiping him, hallowing his day, praising his name, um, ascribing honor of all we do to him, right? Why do I, you know, I think it's sometimes cheesy, you know, somebody wins the, the World Series and, you know, the interview is, oh, how did you do it? Oh, first I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they move on to whatever. From sometimes like, that's kind of cheesy, you know, like, um, but I think what the intent is, is to do this, right? To honor God above all. Everything I do, I want to honor God in that. Whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, honor God. Whether that means you win the World Series, whether that means you give a great presentation at work, whether that means you're raising your kids, everything you do is for God's glory. So I need to stop being a curmudgeon and uh, appreciate these people. 
Um, obeying him, grieving when his name suffers, when others dishonor his name, whether by blasphemous, blasphemously using his name or whether their actions are not glorifying to him. We grieve that. We give honor to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. We stand up for his truths. We seek the salvation of others. We prefer his name over the dearest things to us, our own name, worldly prophets, even our own life. So this is how we hallow God's name. We pray for it and we pray that, Lord, grant what you command. We're called to glorify God and hallow his name. But Lord, we need you to grant that because on our own, we can do none of it. Where thoughts, questions, concerns, pushback. Just a thought that this should inspire us to be more bold. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. Yes. This is emboldening. Well, it's one part convicting, but other part wonderfully refreshing. What God has done, what God has allowed us to do by glorifying his name is a tremendous, a wonderful thing. So let's go forth and hallow God's name together. Let's pray. Father, our Father in heaven, we indeed ask hallowed be your name. We pray that our lives would reflect your glory, would live for your glory, would seek you above all things. And we pray that this would be true in the world as well. And so we do pray for the end of all unbelief, all idolatry. And we pray that your name would be hallowed instead. Father, remove from our lips anything that is evil and Place, replace that with that which brings honor and glory and praise to your holy name. We love you, O Lord, and are grateful for your incredible provision for us. And so we desire to honor you all the days of our lives. Bless us as we go forward in this hour and may particularly in the next hour as we worship you, particularly there, may your name be hallowed. Bless us, O Lord, for Christ's sake and in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.